unofficial Bengals podcast. Welcome to the unofficial Bengals podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. All right, in this episode, we're going to review the Bengals playoff chase. We're going to talk a little bit about the Steelers game, and we're going to preview the upcoming game against the Kansas City Chiefs. What's up, Bengal Nation? This is Adrian the Mad Backer Ross, and you're listening to the unofficial Bengals podcast. Who day? Cincinnati Bengals fans, I would like to introduce Frank LaPlaca. It's been a tough year for the 2023 Bengals and the fans of the Bengals. I mean, this was supposed to be our Super Bowl year. Our Super Bowl window was still open. And what do we see? We see Joe Burrow go down in training camp. Eventually, Joe Burrow out for the year, halfway through the season. We've seen T. Higgins miss significant time. We're seeing Jamar Chase miss significant time. DJ Reader goes out for the year. Cam Taylor Britt has a four-week-plus injury. 0-5 in the division, seven AFC losses, losing to the Steelers last week when we, you know, we kind of wanted to close the door and get into the playoffs. It's been a tough one. But you know what? We're still hanging on. We're heading into December 31st and still a chance to make the playoffs. That's a tribute to this team, its resilience, the coaching staff, and the organization. So regardless of whether this year was what we wanted or not, here we are. It's Bengals football. And I still say that we're a team on the rise. All right, let's start this episode off by reviewing the playoff picture. There's a lot of different scenarios. We could actually talk about every team that's in the race and, you know, what we need out of everybody. But really, the basics are this. If the Bengals win out, we have a very good chance. We need the Bengals to win out, and then we need the Ravens to beat the Steelers in Week 18, and we need the Colts to beat the Texans in Week 18. That's the quickest path to the playoffs. There's other scenarios where... The Jaguars lose a couple games and the Texans win that division. But ultimately, right now, if the Steelers drop one and the Texans drop one and we win out, we're going to make the playoffs. All right, some transactions. We signed Travis Bell. He was a rookie seventh-round pick by Chicago. He was waived by them, went to Atlanta, played a couple games there, and waived by them. We picked him up. It makes sense because DJ Reader's out for the year. You get another guy that can play the one technique. Dominic Davis, who was flashed for us in preseason, was brought to the roster for the Steelers game. He was waived after the Steelers game and then brought back to the practice squad after he cleared waivers. So as far as injuries go, Jamar Chase, they're saying day-to-day, week-to-week, between you and me, I don't know if I'm buying it. I think he's going to be out for a significant amount of time, unfortunately. Cam Taylor Britt has been designated for return, so there's 21 days where we have to activate him and bring him up to the active roster. And that's another one they're kind of just saying day by day, we'll see how he looks each day, each practice, see how he responds to things. Basically the same thing as Chase. All right, let's go over the Steelers game and start off with some observations. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this game. I'm looking at my notes, and there's not as many notes as normal because there's not a lot of good things that happen and not a lot of great performances and mostly negative stuff, and I don't even want to go into too much negative. We don't need that right now, especially after a loss to the Steelers. So I say this all the time. When a team has a big play to start the game, you know whether it's like a kickoff return in the opening kickoff or an early interception return, or in this case, you know a, a huge catch and run for a touchdown by George Pickens, 
it's so hard to overcome that. I, I haven't researched the the percentages on if a team lets up a big play in the first five minutes, you know, what their winning percentage is. But it always seems like when that happens, you spend the rest of the game trying to climb back into the game. And I've seen teams lose a lot more than I've seen them win after letting up a big play. So as soon as that big play happened, we're down 7 nothing. You know, we're thinking, hey, it's early. Browning's hot. We're the Bengals. The Steelers lost three in a row. But I had this this feeling of like, oh, are we going to be able to recover from this on the road against that defense? And obviously, we saw what happened. I give the refs credit, not a lot of flags. There were five accepted penalties in this game, and that's refreshing. You know, when you start hitting double-digit penalties or, you know, ten penalties on each team, that's like an unwatchable game. In this case, five total penalties. I appreciate the refs showing restraint. And it made the game a lot more enjoyable, even though it wasn't that enjoyable being down by so much. We shut down Fryermuth, which was good because he killed us last time. So to be able to shut down an effective tight end is always a refreshing thing and a positive. And I'm digging for positives, guys. It's just this was a really rough one. It happens. It just happened at the wrong time and in the wrong situation. You know, this was just a really tough loss all the way around. We had 59 yards of rushing, but it didn't even look like that much. A lot of it came late in junk time, and Mixon ripped off that one 10-plus yarder late in the game. And you can't beat the Steelers when you're one-dimensional like that. They just beat us in the trenches. Our offensive line could not block them. We could not protect in the pass game. We couldn't open holes in the run game. Same thing. We start off with a half yard on our first run, and I just had that feeling that we weren't going to be able to run the ball the whole game. And, you know, that was obviously the case. And you can't be behind against the Steelers on the road. You know, once we went down by like two scores, even 14 nothing, then it gets to 21 nothing, And you basically have to throw your way out of a game with that pass rush. And they were just able to tee off. They're, they're a very well-coached defensive team. They have a lot of good players. And they have an excellent front seven. And this was the recipe for disaster. Can't run and behind. Now it's just tee off on Jake Browning. And that's exactly what happened, unfortunately. We're really missing DJ Reader on the inside, and we knew that would be the case. I just didn't think it would be this major. You know, last game we let up a lot of yards when he was out, and, you know, we turned Najee Harris into a superstar for the second game in a row. You know, unfortunately, I think Tupo and Carter had rough games in the middle. BJ Hill was doing all he could in there, but missing someone like Reader, again, he doesn't have flashy numbers, but his presence in there, he, he does so many things that you just don't see. That you just you, you don't know that, that it's even happening on a down by down basis, you know, occupying two guys, clogging up holes, making running backs go a different direction, all those sorts of things. And yet it is true we're really gonna miss DJ Reader, especially when we go down the stretch in these must win games and every team we're playing is basically a playoff team from this point on. I like the fact that Jake Browning and Cheeto Bayawuzier were very accountable for their mistakes in this game. It's refreshing to see you know, there's no finger pointing, and that's the way you, you get better, and that's the way people respect you, right? Even in anything in life, when you make a mistake and you own up to it, that's way more honorable than than denying your mistake or trying to blame it on other people. And both of these players were very accountable for the mistakes they made, and I respect that. I'm really surprised the Steelers' offensive line did so well. They're just not that good of a line, and I thought even without Reader in there that our defensive line was going to take advantage of that. And you know, Hendrickson had a decent day with a sack, a couple pressures. Hubbard was quiet. Carter and Tupo, like I said, I felt that they struggled a little bit. B.J. Hill was active, but not big plays like normal. Very shocked that the Steelers held up like that. 
So as far as the first couple Pittsburgh touchdowns, the first one, Pickens catches the slant on DJ Turner. It looks like Turner's going to tackle him, and Dax Hill comes in and kind of takes out Turner. And I thought Pratt was actually going to catch him. I'm like, Pratt's as fast as Pickens? This is great. But did not happen. So it's just sometimes that happens. You know, it's like one little slip up in the secondary, and someone goes the length of the field, and it, it makes things look a lot worse than they really were. You know, if Dax Hill wouldn't have taken out Turner... Maybe that's a 15, 17-yard gain, and the game doesn't shift momentum so much like that so quickly. The second touchdown, where they were inside the 10-yard line, and they did that reverse to Austin, and he gets in the end zone. No one could catch him. Pratt is having a phenomenal year. He just got bowled over on a block by Jalen Warren. I mean, I was shocked to see it. I'm sure he was shocked because you don't see him lose his footing and just get knocked over like that. The Steelers were all over our screen passes, and if you look at film, we do a lot of them. And I, there was a stat, I think, we're the second most effective team at the screen pass. So the Steelers, they did their film study, they were well coached, and it was looking like they were reading some of these screens before they even were even before they even got off the ground. I don't know if they were reading signals or they were just diagnosing it so quickly from film study and from coaching, but it really put a dent in us. You didn't see Chase Brown do much out of the backfield, and he's been hot lately, and same thing with Mixon, unfortunately. And then before the half, we're driving down in the red zone. We're at a second and one at this point, inside the 10, I believe, and it's like, all right, you know, we get a first down here, we're going to get in the end zone, make this a much closer game. So as far as the plays from that second and one on, we threw a screen to Irwin on the outside to the left. Browning put it a little bit behind him. It spun him around. He couldn't get momentum, so he basically lost a yard. Then we ran Mixon up the middle, and he wasn't able to get the first down. And then on fourth down, there was a bunch of pressure on Browning. He rolls out, tries to hit Higgins in the back of the end zone, and he's short on the pass because he had no time to throw. I'm not sure that I agree with the call there. I think right when it was second and one, you run it three straight times. Even though the run wasn't effective, you have Mixon who can kind of will his way for a yard as he's done all year. And, you know, maybe you just dial up your best two or three run plays and just go for it like that. Hey, I'm not the coach. So it's 21-0. Steelers get the ball inside their five with about two minutes left to play. And I'm like, all right, you know, we can stop the bleeding here. We'll go down 21-0. We stop him out of the locker room, 21-7, work our way back in. Unfortunately, we get him to a third and 15, and they have a long, successful pass to Pickens. He beats a Wouzier. No pressure on the play. It was like Mason Rudolph had plenty of time to throw back there, and it leads to a field goal right before the half, 24 nothing. I mean, I, I thought it was checkmate much earlier than this in the game, but at this point, 24 nothing at the half, on the road, to that Steelers defense when you're losing in the trenches and you can't run the ball. I mean, it's inevitable. And the second half was kind of like a slow death, unfortunately. And I like Mason Rudolph. I really don't know why. I really don't like any Pittsburgh Steelers. I guess it was his toughness when Miles Garrett slammed him in the head with a helmet. I'm surprised he's alive today, to be honest with you. That was just absolutely crazy. Don't want to compliment the Steelers too much. I just wanted to say that I do respect him as a quarterback. And I think he's their best option at this point. And even if Pickett was healthy, it's feeling like he's their best option. But anyway, second half. We stopped them on the opening drive, and if you look at the second half, they only scored 10 points. So Coach Anarumo, his adjustments, you know, it's it's a big difference from 24 points in the first half to, to them only scoring 10 in the second. I know they were trying to kill the clock. It's not a, a total correlation, but the defense did buckle down a little bit more in the second half. And if you look at the score, and I, I know I'm just reaching for any positive, we did win the second half 11-10. 
if I said that in public, I'm sure people would laugh at me, so I'm only saying it between us. So anyway, coming out of the locker room, we shut him down on the first drive, and then on our second drive, right away, Higgins goes downfield for that 80-yard catch and run. It's the same thing as when Pickens had his. You know, you run a slant, maybe there's a linebacker who's not deep enough in his zone, a safety misses a tackle, and it's off to the races. It wasn't this horrible play by anybody, and it was just, you know, Higgins broke open and he was gone. I wish we could have had a little more of that, but there it was. And then we get the two-point conversion when Browning flips it to Mixon in the front of the end zone. That was smooth, and now I'm like 24-8. All right, a stop and another eight points, and it's a one-score game. You know, as as a fan, you're just looking at the math and and the path to winning a game at that point. And then what happens? They answer right back. 66-yard touchdown to George Pickens. Uh, unbelievable. It's 31-8 at this point, and it truly is game over. And it's so weird because the Steelers had lost three in a row. They took a couple bad losses to some really bad teams. They're down to their third-string quarterback. Pickens has the big controversy over the week where he said he doesn't want to block for his teammates, which was really uncool. And they were even saying, like, oh, I can't see him being in Pittsburgh much longer with that attitude. And then he comes out and just has the greatest game of his career at our expense, unfortunately. Another thing with Pittsburgh in this game that made us so one-dimensional is they shut down our running backs. They shut down our tight ends, including a hot Tanner Hudson. You know, I know Sample and Wilcox had a play or two, and Hudson, I, I, don't, I think he might have only had one catch, and they stopped our screen game. So your running backs are ineffective out of the backfield and running. Your tight ends are a non-factor. Your screens are a non-factor. And you're dealing with two starting wide receivers and a bunch of backups. But although we'll talk about the backups in a second because those guys perform well and I have full faith in them. And I don't want to just refer to them as backups. I'm just trying to illustrate the impossibility of this once the Steelers did what they did. And I guess the last two things were the Yosivash almost catch where he had that leaping catch on the sideline and he just couldn't get in bounds. I have seen this out of a lot of teams, and I, I we've done it a couple times. Get up to the line and snap the ball. Don't get up to the line and try to call the perfect play at that point. Just call a meaningless run up the middle or have the quarterback sneak it. Just let the play before count. It's not worth it to say, all right, you know, this play is potentially reviewable, but let's spend 20 seconds getting into the right fit for the next play and giving the other team time to throw the flag, the red flag, the challenge flag. So in this case, after the Yosivash catch that was reversed, right away you just come to the line, you snap the ball, you go. Even if you get one yard on it, it doesn't matter because you, you had 15 or so yards on his catch, and that was negated because we didn't get the ball off quick enough. And I'm not sure, do you blame that on coaching? Do you blame that on Browning? Do you blame it on me not knowing what I'm talking about? I don't know. But I would have just gotten up there and snapped it. And it's happened to us a couple times this year. And when it was happening, I'm like, snap the ball, snap the ball, snap the ball. And they didn't, of course. And I've seen it in other games by other teams. So the Bengals were not alone in making a mistake here. All right, so why did we lose this game? Number one, we weren't able to handle the Steelers' D-line. It, again, it affected the run game. There was pressures and sacks coming from everywhere all the time. And T.J. Watt just has Jonah Williams' number. It's just nothing was going to work on that matchup, even helping him out. And T.J. Watt just wrecked the game. And number two, as I mentioned earlier, a big play to start the game. If someone wants to fact check it, go out there and check the stats on when a team has a huge play in the beginning. They probably win 75% of the time. I don't know. That's what I would guess if I had to. Number three, turnovers in the red zone, and that first one was killer. 
we'll talk about that one in a little bit. But you know, when you're getting down inside the twenty, you know, trying to get back into the game and score, and you turn it over, that's definitely a recipe to lose a game. Number four, we couldn't stop Pickens. Was he Carl Pickens or George Pickens? I don't know, but we could not stop him. And number five, no Jamar. You know, Jamar Chase in there. There's a few more plays to be made. There's an emphasis on him by the defense. There's, again, just like with Reader, even when he's not doing something, he's doing something. And not having Jamar was a big reason why we lost this game. All right, so Jake Browning, he's been playing great this year, and I have no complaints about him. The Steelers just seem like they got in his head. They have his number. He did throw for 335 yards, but the three interceptions were killing us. He was under constant pressure. And that's a tough team to play. They're confusing. They're very talented. And when they get to tee off on you, I don't care if it's Joe Burrow in there even, it's you're not going to have success, unfortunately. I wanted to see a little bit better body language, though. He was sulking a little bit on the sideline, and he was constantly mad. And I you know, I know you want to show that you care, and I respect that. But when you're mad, you're giving off the wrong message to your team, and you're not in your total, calm, right, clear-thinking head. You know, if rage and anger are the prevailing thoughts in your head. And it felt like that. You know, I I was like, wow, he's sulking and he looks mad the whole game. And it's hard to produce in this league at that level when you're angry. It's not just like a street fight where the maddest guy wins. This is different. You need a lot of poise in the NFL. There's too many talented players. And again, I don't want to turn this into me getting on the Bengals. I love this team. I'm proud of everybody. And Browning has been such a pleasant surprise. I hope we keep him around for a couple years. I really do like him. I like his personality. I think he has the potential to be a starter in this league. He cares. He's a cool guy. You know, if I'm criticizing anything, I, I just I feel it's my job to at least be honest. I can't just sugarcoat everything, although I do, I do my share of that. I don't like to talk bad about our guys. I was just feeling in this game that his throws were lacking a little bit of zip. And I think he has good arm strength. Not elite, obviously, but good. And some of the throws, I was like, man, it's taking too long to get out there. Like, there was one pass, like a screen pass to Boyd, and I was, like, feeling as if I was the the receiver. And you're like, come on, let that ball get here because there's someone bearing down on me. And I felt that happened a couple times in the game where I was like, wow, he he didn't have a lot on that. And I don't think there's any injury taking place. I, I don't really know what it was. But I didn't feel like he had his usual zip and accuracy. But again, that's going to be affected when you know that T.J. Watt is going to be on you in a second and a half on basically every play. And if for some reason we're able to subdue him, you got Highsmith having a monster game on the other side. So not an easy arena for him to play in. So the interceptions, the first one was horrible. But there's more to it. So no one's open on the initial look. The offensive line is holding up kind of. So he rolls out to the right, should have just thrown it out of bounds. He says that he was trying to get rid of it, and it sailed back inside on him. Hey, I'm going to believe him. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. Why why do I not trust him, you know? Or why should I not trust him? But he just hung up a rainbow into the end zone. You don't even need to go that angle. Don't try to throw that one out of the back of the end zone. Put that one... There was a referee on the sideline, and I pointed him out. I'm like, throw it right at that guy. So I just didn't like the direction that he threw the ball in. But again, it's tough when you're under that kind of pressure. But the other underlying factor on that play, if you look at after everything breaks down, he's got Highsmith, Hayward, and Watt coming at him. Because at the end of the play, you're seeing, oh, oh, the pressure's on him. Those were the three guys, three of the best defenders in the AFC, 
all bearing down on him at once. And on that play, what happened was Highsmith delayed, so Orlando Brown helped double-team the other defensive tackle, and then Highsmith just comes roaring in. And then you have Watt and Hayward doing a stunt. So Hayward goes on Jonah. Jonah holds him for a minute, but Hayward just bounces off and follows Browning to the outside. Watt does a real hustle play. He's getting blocked by Kappa. I think Karras chipped him. And he just bounces backwards and outspeeds them over to the ball. And that's what happened. You saw three Steelers hustling. And you saw the whole Bengals offensive line just kind of jogging to the action, unfortunately. I like this offensive line. I'm a big fan of Kappa. I think that Karras played the best of everyone in this game on that line. You know, Volson's the up-and-coming. Orlando Brown's our big-ticket free agent. Jonah, you know, love or hate, he's there. But on that interception, those three guys were roaring at Browning as he's going to the sidelines. So I understand why he wasn't thinking clearly. I don't think there's anyone in the world, you know, even Tom Brady would probably not be thinking clearly in that situation. So that was the first interception. Second interception, they had Tanner Hudson blocking Highsmith on the outside, and Hudson basically whiffed on him. And I think Browning felt him come in, and he rushed the throw. He threw it into a crowded zone. I think it's more excusable if he did feel Highsmith and he rushed it for that reason. If not, and he just was unaware of Highsmith and just threw it there, then it was a really bad read. And remember, I keep saying it, and I'm tired of praising the Steelers, but it's a complicated defense. And in that case, you even heard Blackledge, the announcer, say, I think Browning thought that was man and it was zone. So, you know, he's thinking, hey, my guy's open, but no, there's a guy in the zone about to get, you know, about to backpedal and get in the way of the throw. That's exactly what happened on the second interception third interception he just wasn't in his head at this point Highsmith doesn't blitz he drops Browning doesn't even see him because he thinks that Highsmith is going to be all over him like he was all game and he just puts it right in in the bread basket of Highsmith so three interceptions for Jake Browning a little comeback to earth game for him but I still believe let's go out there and do some damage against the Chiefs and the Browns and no one's going to care what happened in this game Offensively, there's not a lot of performances to really highlight. Higgins, five receptions, 140 yards. I've been saying this how many episodes in a row. I don't want to sound like a broken record. Please, Mr. Tobin, don't get clever. Keep this guy around. What are you going to do? You're going to trade him for even a first-rounder that may not pan out? You have a guy who was the first pick of the second round who has panned out. Keep him around. He is a force. The offense is not the same without him. And even without Jamar Chase, when Higgins is the focal point of the defense, he's had two huge games in a row. Yosivas shows that he belongs in this league. He's making catches. He had four catches, not a ton of yards, but he just looked like an NFL wide receiver. And, he, and as time goes by, this guy is going to be more involved in this offense. And, you know, he's going to be a star for this team. And he does it in the receiving game. He does it in the kicking game. And he does it blocking out there. So I like everything that he's doing right now. And I just want to see more of him on the field. And if Chase is out, we are going to see more of him. So I thought a couple good games in a row for Yosivash when we needed him. Irwin is productive as always. Doesn't get a lot of action. But when he's called on, he does his job. I thought Boyd had a pretty good game in his, in his home stadium. You know, he's from there. He played high school and college football in that stadium. And he had a couple nice catches in this game as well. Not much to say about the defense. When you lose 34-11 and the Steelers basically do what they want and you make Harrison Pickens and Rudolph stars, there's not a lot of good that you can draw out of this game. You know, Hendrickson had his usual sack, a couple pressures. I would have liked to have seen him do more. We talked about the rest of the defensive line. 
I'm not complaining about Hendrickson. I'm just saying, like, I thought that he was going to tear apart that that line, and you know, he was he had a, a decent game, and again, he got banged up in this game as well. And I think Logan Wilson had a pretty decent game too. His speed really flashed throughout this. DJ Turner last couple weeks has been a little down, and he's been one of my favorites, and I think he's going to be a corner for ten years for us. But I'm wondering if he's hitting that rookie wall. You know what they say, like in college, you only play what 10, 11, 12 games or so. You know, including bowl games. In the NFL, when you're running into week 16, 17, your your body's not used to it. And I'm just wondering if that's what's going on with him. But still, a great player. Just a couple weeks in a row where he wasn't flashing as much as earlier. And I thought Battle played decently. He took the wrong angle on that one touchdown by Pickens. But aside from that, you know, he's always in there, a bunch of tackles. And he had that nice open field tackle on Robinson. They were alone on the perimeter in the red zone. It's like, if you don't make that tackle, that's a touchdown. And he's a sure tackler. So I want to give Jordan Battle some credit as well. Special teams, McPherson perfect as usual. The coverage units did well. And I thought that Brad Robbins had another good game. A couple really good punts. Got him inside the 20 a couple times, so he's flashed over the last few weeks, and we want that to continue, and we want him to be our long-term punter as well. So that's it. I want to put this one behind us. We had all the momentum in the world. The Steelers had no momentum. We just needed this to win and increase our playoff chances to pretty much you're in, and that just didn't happen. That's kind of been the story of 2023 for us, but we're still alive. There's still hope. So let's just believe and have fun these last couple weeks and hopefully things will fall into place for us and we'll go to where we want to go. All right, so let's talk about the game against the Chiefs and the Chiefs are one of my most hated teams. Obviously the Steelers, Ravens, and Browns are all on that list. Next in line is probably the Chiefs. The 49ers are right up there for me. I don't like the Rams for obvious reasons. So If you're asking me who my most hated teams are, that's my list off the top of my head, and the Chiefs are right up there. We can't go one commercial break without seeing Mahomes and Reed or Kelsey. It's just so annoying. I know they won the Super Bowl, but enough's enough. There's, there's, There's 31 other teams. You can't feature anybody else on these commercials. And Joe Burrow's cooler than Patrick Mahomes anyway. All right, I don't know, sour grapes or whatnot. I'm just so tired of the Chiefs, and I really hope that they... Don't make it anywhere this year. They're finally going to play a playoff road game. And I just want to really give it to them this week and set them back because that loss against the Raiders was a bad loss for them. Which is a little unfortunate for us timing-wise because now they're going to have a chip on their shoulder and they're probably not going to play as badly as they did against the Raiders. We might be getting the best version of the Chiefs to try to show the world that they're not this mistake-ridden, not the same team they used to be kind of thing. But we'll see. Hey, let's just go in there and do what we've done against the Chiefs over the last couple years, and I think we'll be successful. Head coach Andy Reid, by the way, I think he's very funny in some of those commercials, but I'm just tired of seeing him. But a phenomenal head coach, phenomenal play caller, you know, Hall of Fame coach, and he's got that team at the top of the league year after year, and he did it with the Eagles, and, you know, it's, it's not a coincidence that the teams that he coaches are very good and at the top of the league. Steve Spagnolo is the defensive coordinator, another accomplished defensive coordinator, and he's got that unit playing better than ever, a great defensive coach. And Matt Nagy, a great, he's like their Callahan. You know, he's not calling the plays, but he's, he's contributing heavily to the play calling. So Chiefs, points per game offensively. They're 12th in the league. That's unlike the Chiefs. They're scoring 22. 
The Bengals are 20th in the league. We're scoring 21. Defensive points per game. The Chiefs are second in the league. They're only letting up 17 points a game. And that's not what you think. You think the Chiefs are, are playing like 38-35 games all year, and it just really hasn't been the case. Their offense isn't scoring as much as usual, and their defense is, is becoming more of a shutdown defense. So second in the league in points given up at 17. The Bengals are 22nd in points given up at 23. I know there's a lot of numbers there, but what I wanted to illustrate basically is we're kind of in the middle of the pack in both categories and the Chiefs are lower than usual in offense and higher than usual in defensive skill. So the roster. Mahomes, obviously one of the best quarterbacks in football. I don't know what's going on with him with all the turnovers this year and the meltdowns, but bring it on. Bring on the barbecue. Any problems that he has on the field, I'm happy about because he's been the golden child for a while, and we all like to see the golden child fall, especially when our guy is the real golden child. Pacheco is a great running back. Not only is he from Rutgers, my alma mater, he runs viciously on every play. There's no one in the league that runs with that much effort on every play, and it's paying off, and he's a dangerous weapon. You know, you can almost pencil him in for 80-plus yards a game. You know, very dangerous. If we don't stop him, we're in trouble because they obviously have a great quarterback and a couple weapons on the outside as well. Edwards Alaire has been a little bit of a disappointment as, as a number two running back. He was supposed to be their number one. You know, that's how it goes. A high draft pick is on the bench, and the low draft pick is your starter. You know, I look at Brock Purdy. This is like the Brock Purdy effect with the Chiefs' backfield. But Allaire is still dangerous if you forget about him. All right, so receiving threats. Kelsey is obviously the number one receiving threat. He's a Hall of Famer. And game after game, I, you see the Chiefs a lot because they're on, you know, Sunday night football, Monday night constantly, primetime games constantly. And I watched a lot of Chiefs games this year, and he's so open all the time. And I'm like, he's not that fast. He's not that quick. I know he runs good routes. I know he's a great receiver. But it's like if you know that that's Mahomes' main weapon, there's no excuse for leaving him this wide open all the time. I see it on a regular basis. I'm sure you guys see it. Like, he's catching passes, and there's no one within five yards of him. And it's like, that's Kelsey. Double him. Triple him. Do whatever you have to do. So obviously their biggest receiving threat is him, and Rasheed Rice has developed into Mahomes' favorite wide receiver, and he's having a great year. Not a big name yet, but we're all going to hear of him as the Chiefs go on because Mahomes is targeting him a lot, and he's been delivering. You have Watson as the other receiver, who's having a decent year. Valdez Scantling, you know, he's another one. You recognize the name. He's done some good things, but he's more of a, of a role guy than, than a dominant receiver. You have Kadarius Toney, who's an absolute lunatic and a liability. Truthfully, everything he does, he, he just he seems to make major mental mistakes on the field all the time. Obviously, he's got all the skill in the world. He killed us on that punt return in the AFC Championship game. But I'm hoping that he makes a few mental mistakes where you know he's, he's the toast of talk radio because he's doing something stupid on the field that leads to a Cincinnati Bengals win. And then you have Richie James as their other wide receiver. Obviously, they seem to like... Giants cast off wide receivers. Offensive line, they're weak at the tackle position. They're very strong on the interior. They have Wanye Morris at left tackle now, and he's he was a backup that's now in the starting role. Tooney, great left guard. Humphrey, great center. And you have Smith as the other guard. All three of those guys have lit it up. And I remember the year when they drafted Humphrey and when they got Smith, I was like, oh, man, why didn't we get those two guys? And then you have Juwan Taylor at the right tackle position who's struggling mightily, so I'm hoping that Sam Hubbard can have a decent game there. 
So the key is when we're on defense to control this explosive offense, we have to beat the tackles, get to Mahomes, let him make some mistakes, let him have some meltdowns, Hendrickson have a huge day, Hubbard have a huge day, Miles Murphy get in there. You know, I don't know how much damage we're going to be doing on the interior because that's a very good interior line. But our defensive ends and edge rushers should be able to have some success against this team. And if you can do it on a consistent level like Highsmith and Watt just did to us, then Mahomes is going to be in trouble. So that's the biggest key is our defensive ends defeating these subpar offensive tackles. Two, don't leave Kelsey as wide open as the rest of the league has. I just talked about it. Three, understand that Rasheed Rice is his new favorite, so you can't sleep on him. If Kelsey's covered or out of the game... If Mahomes is passing, his first option is going to be Rice, so be prepared for it. And remember what I said before is the fourth key, Pacheco can very easily take a game over with that vicious running style. And number five, capitalize on their downturn right now. They made a lot of mistakes over the last few weeks. They've had a couple meltdowns, arguing on the sidelines, complaining about the the officiating when they've gotten all the calls over the years. But take advantage of that disarray. Let a few things go wrong. Let them start whining and crying. And we just stay focused and down to business. So that's the keys when we're on defense to control Mahomes and his crew. All right, so moving on to this Chiefs defense. Defensive line. You have Dana. You have Nadi. You have Chris Jones, who's the superstar, and you have George Karlaftis, who's a good pass rusher, not having a phenomenal year, but definitely their number two or number three pass rushing threat. Phenomenal linebacking group. Bolton is a great linebacker. Gay is a phenomenal linebacker, and so is Chanel. He's more of their run-stuffing linebacker, but all three of those guys are dangerous. It's going to be tough sledding for Mixon and Brown coming out of the backfield and rushing the ball, unfortunately. Corners, you have Jalen Watson on one side, and that's probably the most vulnerable. Trent McDuffie in the slot is having a great year, and Jarius Sneed on the other side is having a great year. So again, you look at it, they have a top-of-the-league defensive lineman in Jones, they have a couple functional pass rushers, they have great linebackers, they have a couple good corners. I mean, that's, that's a good defense. There's a lot of good players on that defense. Safety, you have Mike Edwards and Justin Reed. Neither one of those guys are lighting it up, so probably the weakest part of the defense is their safeties. And you have Connor come in in dime situations, and he's actually playing well when he's in there. But, you know, again, a lot of good players. There are some vulnerabilities. I don't think the defensive line is phenomenal, but the linebackers definitely help them out. Just a troublesome defense as we see. So what are the keys to winning this game and succeeding against this defense? Number one, don't let Chris Jones game wreck. And you know they're watching the Steelers film and they're going to watch what they did and how they did it and the stunts and isolating guys on Jonah. You don't think don't think that they're not going to be doing that. So we're going to do the best that we can to make sure that Chris Jones doesn't turn into T.J. Watt this game because that's all it takes. If you have a game wrecker out there, it cuts your playbook in half and it gets your quarterback shaken up and it leads to victories. So he's probably the biggest key on that defense. So they're going to be all over Higgins. They have a good slot corner to cover Boyd. With those linebackers, it's going to be tough for the running backs. So you have to look at your other wide receivers. I think Yosivash has to have another breakout game. I think you use Irwin more than you have been using him. Maybe you have Charlie Jones run run a deep route or two. Number three, you exploit those safeties. So you run some go routes. You say, all right, you know, Sneed, you want to cover Higgins? That's fine. 
but now we're going to go deep and you know Reed's going to have to help out back there or Edwards and let's test him deep and you work with your tight ends the linebackers are going to be covering tight ends to an extent but you want to try to get some matchups where you're isolating Tanner Hudson on those safeties I still say you go with Chase Brown out of the backfield regardless of that linebacking core because he's got game-breaking ability. There's not a lot of film on him, and he was very successful, and we didn't use him much in the Steelers game because they were all over the screens. And number five, don't panic if they score early because they've been prone to mistakes. So even if they go up 7-0, 10-0, don't think, oh, this is like the Steelers game. We're getting killed. How are you going to catch up to Mahomes? Get that thought out of your head. You're getting punched a little bit, you gain your composure, and then you punch back. Don't get too down, don't get too high, don't get too low. And this is a very winnable game. Predictions? I will never pick against the Bengals, so take my predictions with a grain of salt or with great importance, however you want to feel about it. 23-20 Bengals. Each of us scores a couple touchdowns. We get one more field goal than they get. 23-20, the Bengals break the Chiefs' heart. The Bengals are on the path to the playoffs. The Chiefs fall even a little bit deeper. We're on the way up. They're on the way down. That'll do it for this episode. I'd like to thank at Bengals Highlights on Instagram, the best page out there. Really cool highlights, really cool music. Definitely something you should check out. Thank you for listening to the unofficial Bengals podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. The Unofficial Bengals Podcast.